0: Boys, a bit bored. Snap into it. Snap into a slam jam. Turn to the spice. Make me just a taste. Hey, noise, antique. Snap into it. Need a little excitement. Snap into a slam jam. The thing that I told you, the first thing that I jumped out at me when I watched it, I had no idea that Warrior and Sting started out as partners.
1: Oh, yeah, that was that was big back then because it's just like they pretty much, have, you know, ended up leave, uh, having parallel careers with very similar characters and kind of winning the world title around the same time, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was just very – but, yeah, they started up, you know, both of them were bodybuilders. Yeah. You know, and just like even more warriors a little bit more so. But, yeah, that uh, Power Team USA, you know, because back in, in the 80s it was, you know, Hogan kind of ushered ushered in this steroid era. Yeah. So everybody who basically had a pretty muscular build was like, okay, this is where I can go make a lot of money. Right. And
0: wrestling was in the uh rock and roll 80s. Yeah, the so rock and wrestling
1: connection. It was it
0: was everywhere. Yeah.
1: So. And bodybuilding was was huge in the 80s, right? Cuz and, you know, basically the biggest movie stars in the world were Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Who you, were had, both... you had Lou Ferrigno out there, too. Yeah. Yeah. And even before that, like early 80s, late 70s, you had Schwarzenegger and Ferrigno were, you know, basically household name as those dueling bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were already big names in there. Yeah. You know, look, the 80s was very big and bombastic so not you know not not just the wrestling but you know everything about the 80s right yeah was there so it's no surprise that you know warrior who kind of you know in this you know in this first documentary we're going to just cover the a and e stuff we'll, we'll yeah i was going to say before
0: part, we get too deep here right yeah what uh what what was your thoughts on the a uh, and e doc on warrior overall
1: it was it was a lot deeper than i expected you know yeah. when we do part two and we talk about with dark side of the ring I expect them to go dark I expected A&E to kind of not whitewash it a little and some will argue that it was a little whitewash but they definitely brought up more of the dark stuff around ultimate warrior than I expected yeah you know so uh but yeah we'll stick just to the A&E stuff but I, I enjoyed it did you like it I thought it was really good yeah I enjoyed it from top to bottom there was a lot
0: that I didn't know um, like I said, the Sting stuff. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting to me because they kind of had the same makeup, right, for the majority of their careers. Yeah.
1: Which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that he got really, you know, he got gassed up and went to California and, you yeah. know, realized, hmm, that is how I make money. Yeah. But just, like, there's no Ultimate Warrior without Arnold Schwarzenegger indirectly, right? Because mm-hmm. when he was talking about his friends, like, he used to just do curls in front of an Arnold Schwarzenegger poster. Yeah. That's a pretty... uh we know you know schwarzenegger became a legend so sure. just that have that is that's the that's the route you're going mm-hmm. uh no surprise but it was a little bit of you know serendipity right there's just like they had that power team usa that one of the guys dropped out they needed another big guy and somehow sting had come across warrior right you know and just working out in the gym before either one of them were in wrestling you know and then to get select you know to be in that group and then, you know, Jeff Jarrett's dad, Jerry Jarrett, you know, when they were just sending tapes everywhere bef- before, that was the only thing you can do, right? Send, you know, send headshots and send tapes and hope they watch. And Jarrett, you know, just like, I like their look, but I want only two of the four and the two of the four were staying in ultimate warrior. Right. That was nuts. So I was just like, okay, well, cause I wonder what happened to the other two guys <laughs> that they, they were definitely the fifth beetle, two fifth <laughs> beetles in the power <laughs> team USA. But, uh, you know they, you know they wanted to be the, you know they became the freedom fighters. It didn't work. They were really green. They probably got rushed in there because everyone was looking for that next Hogan. Oh, this guy looks big. Let's yeah. Rush him I didn't in know.
0: There. So Sting came out of bodybuilding too. Yeah,
1: Sting. Yeah, came I didn't out realize of bo- that either. Yeah, they both came out of bodybuilding, and they were. It was a pretty big deal because you know obviously we spoke about how huge the road warriors were too. It wasn't just like looking at Hogan. Everybody was looking for those next set of like road warriors. So, you know, they threw some makeup on their face with Eddie Gilbert and, or some guy liner. And next thing you know, they're rock and sting. You know, he was, he was the rock before the rock. Yeah. You know, he was, it was rock and sting, the blade runners. And they were just basically these road warrior knockoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were getting pushed. Even if they weren't ready, they were getting pushed. Yeah, uh, But he, you know, obviously he was very, uh, he knew what he wanted and he wasn't going to take anything less, you know, and, and I'm sure the the steroids didn't, you know, help that. So I'm sure he was just like, if you already have a tough personality, you would even be tougher to deal with. So he tried to like hold up Watts for money. Yeah. And if you know anything and you listen to those stories about uh, Bill Watts, there was a story they did not cover on here. Where basically Watts was very much like uh, Stu Hart, where he loved taking the big guys and knocking them down a few pegs, mm-hmm. even if they're getting pushed. And he basically wanted Warrior to get into like a fireman's carry, you know, in the in the wrestler stance, you know, he's going to get on all fours. And he was planned on like kicking them in the gut and Warrior wouldn't do it, you mm-hmm. know. But most of the other times guys would get down there and do it because they were trying to get their spot. But they didn't talk about that at all. So I don't think there was any love lost anyway. So for him to try to hold up for money and just no show, which obviously in wrestling is a huge no-no. And back then you're just like, I don't want to lose my spot. So I'm not going to no show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, he did. He no showed him and tried to hold him up for money. I don't know if you were taken back by that, but it was just like, that was back then. That was a big deal. I feel like I could imagine somebody doing that today,
0: but, uh, not uh back then
1: no and then to have uh sting be the kind of the, the the more level-headed you know voice of reason and just go there and still try to go there yeah and
0: sting showed up and did the job did he do a handicap match is that what happened
1: yeah i don't know if they did a handicap match or if they actually just put him in there with some because hot stuff eddie gilbert uh was their manager and obviously he was a great wrestler uh Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was actually my second wrestling match ever. Oh, really? Uh, not on YouTube, but it should be. You know, just see me looking like a 19-year-old piece of chewed-up bubblegum wrestling <laughs> Eddie Gilbert in my second wrestling match ever. Wow. But he was a great wrestler, and he, was a, had a, he died young, unfortunately, in Puerto Rico, but he was a great mind for the business. Like, he would be running NXT right now if he was still with us. But he was a, a good enough wrestler that it probably was staying in Eddie Gilbert, you know, to kind of cover... cover up there so and then basically that splintered what to this day is still just like the ultimate warriors path and sting's path which pretty much was parallel the rest of their career after that they only crisscrossed once in you know in warriors wcw run which they didn't really cover that much Mm -hmm. but that it established that sting was you know the wcw guy and ultimate warrior would eventually would be that wwe guy yeah you know, and I thought for sure he would not have gotten any work after that. You know, because it's just like back then it was territories, and he could have easily Watts could have made a call to you know to uh, Fritz von Erich and said, "This guy no showed me for money. Don't book him." But you know, Warrior walked in and probably just like, "Ah, oh, this guy looks like he's money. Yeah. Let's let's book him." They said WCCW
0: was for the ladies. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that
1: was. I mean, think about it. You had the von Erichs, and just like they. Couldn't come to the ring, you know, without getting just like the roses and the hands all over them. Mm-hmm. right? And I wrestled in the sportatorium. It's uh, it's very easy to get grabbed mm-hmm. in all directions from any directions <laughs> back then. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with that. But that was the 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 beta test of the ultimate warrior, except it was the the dingo warrior, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone had a dog and it was a a dingo, yeah, <laughs> or a dingo. I don't even know, but it's just like you're the dingo warrior. Yeah. They basically said that he got that name because whoever came up with it was like inebriated when they examined he's just like, Oh, you should be the dingo warrior. Because uh-huh. this guy looks like a warrior. Was that <laughs> was that dingo movie out at the time where the, the dingo ate my baby? No, that was like that was years before the dingo was it? I don't know. Oh yeah, a good oh yeah, because I'm thinking it's Seinfeld. So maybe then maybe the No dingo. the actual
0: film yeah, with maybe. Meryl Streep. I don't oh, know what year that man. was. I think it's called A Cry in the Dark or something.
1: Cry in the Dark, nineteen eighty eight.
0: Mm. Okay, so we were
1: no, it was yeah. That's that was, that's then. Yeah, was eighty. Warrior was there. Eighty. He went to WWE in nineteen eighty eight, like in late eighty seven, because his first WrestleMania, I believe, was four. Okay, which was eighty eight. Really? So. Oh man, yeah. Maybe just Dingo was in the zeitgeist. Okay, well the film hadn't come out yet, but maybe the story was out there. Yeah, the story had to have been out there, right? So maybe
0: the story was reported on. And someone heard about it. Yeah, it was. A, it was a, enough for. Uh, That's my Quentin Tarantinoing of wrestling history.
1: <laughs> a cry in the dark, which I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's but. a decent film. Yeah, I mean, Ultimate Warrior, when he did finally, after, you know, he got scooped up from world-class to WWE, like, he was, like, an instant hit. He was, like, exactly what the the 80s represented. Yeah. You know, he just, like, running to the ring, and he had the comic book look, and it just, like, he had everything that was different. Right. It was very much, ironically, like the Road Warriors, who mm-hmm. also had the same thing, these big, muscled up dudes with face paint that come in and do Everything that you don't expect a wrestler to do. Right. But yeah. he just came in like a shot
0: of adrenaline. Oh, he did. His 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 entrance was really, I feel, the, the the thing that got him over the most because you heard that music and you saw him just running top speed. Nobody ran top speed to the ring.
1: No. Especially like those, you know, those big muscled up guys. They're gonna be blown up before they get yeah. there because he's just like, I'm out of gas. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so he's
0: hauling ass to the ring and then shaking the ropes. <laughs> I mean, that was great. And, you know, I listened to the Jim Cornette uh, review of these, and he pointed something out that is true. It's like when you see Wario clips, they don't really show him working. It's always him running to the ring or shaking the ropes. Or... Yeah. It's like that's what you see. And it's true. I mean, he's known for not having the best ring work, you know? Oh, absolutely. But um, everyone has fond memories of just hearing the music. That's probably got to be one of the great all time wrestling music drops.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, Jim Johnston definitely should be in the Hall of Fame, you know, Mm -hmm. just because how much iconic music he created that basically, you know, Lord Stephen Regal, William Regal, whatever you want to call him by his, you know, he says they know the fans know if you're a star, as soon as you walk out of the curtain, like within three steps, they know if you're a star. And a lot has to do not only with your presence, but that music. Yep. You know, so uh, that was like you said, it was absolutely perfect music. And, and they used him smart in the beginning. You know, his first stuff, you know, was basically, you know, he got into a tug of war with uh, Hercules Hernandez, you know, which is her, you know, for the chain and Warrior broke the chain. Uh, I went to actually, I was still a kid and I went to see a Royal Rumble live at the Summit in Houston. Uh-huh. Uh And Warrior didn't have a match with Rick Rude. He had a pose off, like a flex off. And they were basically out there just like it was a bodybuilding show and they were flexing for each other. Yeah. So, and he had one of those little uh, gimmicks to make your muscles look bigger before you go out there and flex. And that's what Rick Root attacked him with. But they used him really smart and just like they showcased how strong he was without actually having to have a big match with him. I
0: didn't realize that.
1: Oh, yeah. So, and so when it finally came around, of just like this guy, you know, they were just kind of like showcasing him that. I don't care, man. Man, I'll I'll still never forget it. I watched SummerSlam on pay per view, and Honky Tonk Man, you know, had the title for the longest time, and just never seemed like he was going to lose it. So when that music hit, that was that was a Road Warrior pop. Mm -hmm. You know, that place literally, you know, you you hear you can hear uh, Gorilla Monsoon. You know, this place has gone crazy. They've come. Unglued, they've they're gone bananas. You know. Um, so let me ask you like going
0: back to his earlier bookings, were they doing the music drop and then having him run out and do the
1: flex off, or were they just he still ran out before he still he ran, ran out? Yeah, he still ran out. He never walked to the ring okay. that I know of. Yeah, you know, he always ran out. So he'd
0: do his whole intro but not do a match. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. exactly. They were just kind of showcasing him. And they, and look, this is you know, enhancement talent days, so he just like, he can go out there and squash a guy just to show him you know and Mm -hmm. just like you you know and then you'll wrestle somewhat of a longer match in a a house show but by this time he wasn't as green as he was back in those mid-south and world-class days you know he probably learned to work a little bit more because now you're working with some guys that are you know showing you this is how you do it but you know his career trajectory was really he got a lot really fast yeah even though he worked his i'm not he definitely worked for it, but he still got a lot really fast, right? You know, just like his his ring entrance was very prophetic because that's what his career was. It's just like he just shot out and got to the ring before anybody else. Mm-hmm. So he was just
0: in that period,
1: like you said. What would you call that period? Oh, that was the As, yeah, was, Hogan that, was on the decline. Yeah, that was on the superstar era. Like, yeah. no, I, I I would even say Hogan's. You just got, you know, people would hold the world championship for years back then. You know, you wouldn't have this. So, you know, Hogan was still this, you know, three was when he slammed Andre. You know, he took a break in four, but then he got the title back. And then he had the match with Savage in five. Uh, So he was still, Hulkamania was still, it wasn't at its peak, but it was still, he was still way over. Yeah. But he was getting to the point where it wasn't the... People were tired of seeing him, but it was just like he was starting to do what The Rock did later on. And just like he, you know, when what John Cena is currently doing, he's trying to like explore his options sure. outside of wrestling. So he needed to make time so he would take those breaks, you know. So, but he was still way over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to have somebody, but McMahon knew that this was happening. And by then he was already starting to try to position like who I can't just hang my hat on just like one guy in the company. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't do that anymore, like almost to a detriment. Mm-hmm. He doesn't help anyone get over anymore. Cause he's just like, no, it's a, the whole show is an experience. Right. You know, where back then. It was just like, it was Hogan. Everybody befriended Hogan because, you know, if you were on a show with Hogan, you're going to make money because they had the a show and the b show on traveling uh the b show if it did it had the intercontinental title on top maybe you weren't going to make as much money unless you were on hogan's show mm-hmm. right back then when the uh, the house shows meant something so to have somebody like warrior come in and just like oh maybe this guy can hang with hogan was a big deal yeah and that well i think that that crowning moment was the pop that he got for beating the honky-tonk man mm-hmm. as quick as he did. yeah, And it just like as soundly as he did, that realized like, whoa, this was a big deal. And then next up, you know, they basically started to go into, he started having that run with Andre the Giant. Right. Which, you know, and Hogan had already slammed Andre the Giant, and that was kind of like his claim to flame is like uh, Rosenberg, Rosenboom, Pete Rosenboom, how do you say his name? He was um. he was on the show, but anyway, he was right. He talked, you know. Hogan's claim to flame came, claim to fame was slamming Andre, right? Because Andre was fifteen years undefeated. You know right. that was that was the equivalent of beating the streak. The you know the Undertaker streak, and I think that's probably what McMahon was hoping for. With mm-hmm. years later with Brock and Undertaker, yeah. You know, but Brock was already kind of known and established, so. Uh, But this was the ultimate Hogan's crowning achievement. So I always heard that Andre the Giant did not like working with Warrior. And there's an If you go out there on YouTube, there is the legend, I think Bobby Heenan talked about it, that he was trying to slow the Ultimate Warrior down because obviously he's not going to keep up with Ultimate Warrior's Andre the Giant. Yeah. Uh, And there was a a spot where he goes to run and Andre literally just held his fist out and let Warrior run into his fist and basically knocked him down to size. (laughs) So I think that's floating around out there. But I've heard that story that that's after that he just like basically – okay, we're going to do this my way. Yeah.
0: Well, you get the sense that not very many people like working with him. I don't think, was there anyone positive about uh, working with him in the ring?
1: Not that I, I mean, they make definitely uh, made him out to be a loner. Yeah, for sure. So it's very possible that I don't know. And look, it's tough, you know, knowing that, you know, I worked with Ahmed Johnson. I understand how hard it is to work with somebody that's like super jacked, Mm -hmm. super energetic and don't know their own strength and kind of just kind of get into this mindset that this is really happening and you're just like when you're trusting them and they're strong enough to like destroy you and you're basically putting your body on the line, it it gets – it gets hairy because you're just like, look, if I, if I have to really street fight you, this isn't how I would be doing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just like, I'm sure a lot of these guys, especially the old timers, man, there's just like, look, grab a headlock. Let's, let's work the crowd for 10 minutes where could you see warrior doing that? Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until his match with Hogan at WrestleMania six where you saw a really extended match, mm-hmm. you know, but everybody has their heat with Hogan and like, you know, and understandably so, but one thing he, Does understand is he does understand how to work and manipulate the audience Mm -hmm. to get what he wants, and he was able to basically work Ultimate Warrior through probably the best match of his career. Yeah, I mean that WrestleMania six was iconic because you had no idea who was going to win because Hogan at that point was only beaten by. On uh, by Andre the Giant on that main event, which, you know, on NBC, which it wasn't Saturday night's main event. Mm-hmm. It was a primetime main event special. And even then he didn't beat him clean because he had, you know, the evil Hebner twins. They had the evil ref that was paid off by Million Dollar Man. And still his shoulder was clearly up. So you never really saw Hogan's shoulders down for one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching on, and I was shocked when Hogan went to drop the leg. And Warrior moved and then beat him with that splash. I was one of the ones that like, wow, that really just happened. I remember my brother just like, look at the look on your face. You're stunned right now. (laughs) Because I was. It's just like you knew Warrior had the capability, but you didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, this was Hulk Hogan. He beat Andre the Giant. How is someone going to beat him? But Warrior did.
0: I I don't recall that one, but yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, that was uh, another... Another tie that Edge was in the audience right there, and that was one of the moments that he's just like, I knew I was going to be a wrestler. And they actually, you know, later on you can see they zoom in and they find Edge in the crowd. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So it's just like because that happened in uh, the Sky Dome, but yeah, that was like his his coronation. That Hogan basically said, "Let's okay, I'm going to be taking a break. Let's see if this guy can make a run." Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was the equivalent of too much too fast, but that's when that's when you heard problems starting to happen yeah. with warrior, because at that time you were used to, you know, the world champion holding the belt for years and years. Yeah. You know, so, uh, when it didn't seem like that, that was going to happen. And he kind of lost a little bit of his mystique. That was just like something you can even tell as a fan, something seemed off. So what was he doing at this time? Can you recall that period? I mean, he's just
0: take, you know, won the title from Hogan. What, yeah. what kind of booking were they doing? I know they mentioned, a. Uh, he was uh, doing a Rick Rude uh, right. Yeah, program. He,
1: he went back to uh, Rick, Rude, you know, working yeah. with Rick Rude, who I was talking about. That's who he had the flex off with. Uh-huh. Uh, but there, look, and, and I know in the show they made it seem like it would. You know, I think Meltzer was like it wasn't a big deal because it was a retread. But Rick Rude beat the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Belt at WrestleMania Five. So I, I disagreed with Meltzer in that case because it's just like he proved, even though Bobby Heenan you know, held his foot down, you know, Warrior didn't lose clean, but he still was pinned one, two, three for the belt. So it's just like, hey, this guy beat Warrior before, maybe he can beat him again. Uh-huh. So I thought, I thought it was okay. You know, and I remember they did have a, a match, at a cage match, I believe at SummerSlam. I don't know if that was the match made in heaven or hell, or if that was the year after, but uh, I think, yeah, he was wrestling Andre around that time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I think they, had a Saturday night's main event where I don't remember if he slammed him then, but you already knew on the house shows you already had heard that it was just like, yeah, he's, sw- he slammed onto the giant. So yeah, I don't know, but you know, the internet wasn't around back then. So you didn't hear all the backstage heat that we heard now, mm-hmm. but something just seemed off and he didn't even make it a full year. Yeah. Before uh, you know, this stuff started happening and then macho man as macho King, you know, basically caused him to lose to Sergeant Slaughter and that led to evil Sergeant Slaughter, you know, the Iraqi sympathizer fighting uh, Hogan for the belt at WrestleMania Mm seven. And then warrior was not even part of the uh, title picture at that point. So I don't know if it was, he couldn't handle it, but, or maybe he wasn't drawing because back then drawing tickets actually meant something. So if you took the title off of them, that maybe, maybe he wasn't drawing the tickets like Hogan was. Well, you say something seemed off. What seemed off to you? Can you recall? Oh, I just remember he just like one time. I think he came out in like a brother love segment and his face paint looked a little different and he was, they were trying to make him, you can tell at that point, he didn't have that rawness that he had before. Like, you know, when they, when John Cena went from got over being the doctor of thugonomics and then when he became so popular, then all of a sudden it was John Cena with the neon shirts and you can tell the company is packaging someone and preparing them for like to be the face of the company. Yeah. where And then they kind of lost that luster of what got them over. That's what it felt like, mm. like he was being packaged a little bit differently. You know, now that you mentioned being packaged by the company, one thing that really stood out to
0: me in this doc that I enjoyed quite a bit was the short behind the scenes tidbits of uh, when they're shooting promos Oh yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. You know, I don't think I've ever seen any BTS on um, promos for for WWE, and you can hear Vince directing and everything.
1: Yeah, and they showed the picture of basically Vince. I know they were Zubaz, they were the workout pants, but they were the. It looked like the material of mom jeans, uh-huh. and as he was uh, directing them in the snake, I think it was in the snake pit. Uh, Cause he had some cool stuff, right? He wrestled, you know, he did the undertaker stuff where I remember that he got locked in the coffin. Yeah. And then he basically, when the coffin opened and he was like passed out, like he, you know, he ran out of oxygen and they had clawed his way. And basically they had all these claw marks on the coffin. Like he was trying to dig his way out. Uh Uh, Ultimate warrior was trying to help him get his eye of the tiger. I mean, Jake, the snake was trying to help warrior find that killer instinct that he thought he lost. So you had to have that trust thing with Jake. Yeah. And that's when Jake had that deeper heel turn of like, trust me, but basically he got trapped in there with those Cobras. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it was, yeah. So to see that Vince was back there directing all those BTS things was pretty cool. I, I do agree with you on that. Just to see he had a lot of, I mean, he still does, but back then, like, he was there all the vignettes all the important stuff of getting these characters over
0: yeah and the one that was the most intriguing when he was directing
1: the apology oh yeah I've never seen that I actually I never even heard that story until this aE documentary yeah
0: um so what happened there he he yelled at a fan in the airport yeah. who happened to be a friend of Vince's
1: yeah his is he was the son of a friend of Vince uh-huh and uh, and and even look even if it wasn't a son but for an event, if it actually got back to that you did that to a fan in the airport, like look, if that happened on the internet now, now it would have the same thing would it would have you happened. You'd be on,
0: on TMZ immediately. Yeah. You'd have uh, five cell phone videos of it.
1: Yeah, so I mean I think that was uh like look, you're you're supposed to be this champion of the the kids, right? You know, because you in whatever weird universe Vince was is now but back then it was more so it really was about the fans and just like getting these superhero larger than life characters over so if you you know you think back to Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling when he had all the kids charging him in that cartoon vignette and when Mm -hmm. they're all he wanted that so you're gonna have him yelling at a kid in the airport but the whole time, he, just, he was getting so pissed because he had these scripted lines by Vince, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get them right. And then he was just getting pissed, and he's like, I don't even know why I'm doing this for something I didn't do. He sounded like a teenage kid that was getting yeah. scolded, like like your dad brought you over by your scruff to apologize to someone apologize for doing Apologize to like, your teacher. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, and I didn't even do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did they I don't know if they, they tied these together in the uh, documentary, but was that part of what derailed his run or no?
1: Yeah, that was part of that was the the basically his the end of his first run. Oh, okay. After that, yeah. yeah, I think he was pretty much done after that. And uh, but that was like the beginning of it because you can tell he was kind of burning out. And then it was that holding uh, Warrior, a uh, uh, holding Vince up for that money at that mm-hmm. summer. No, that was the match made in hell. Where yeah. It was basically Hogan and Warrior versus Evil Sergeant Slaughter and. Iron Sheik as Mustafa. Yeah. You know, that was later on. So he, even after he lost the belt, he was still with the company for a little while longer before he lost it. So he won the belt at WrestleMania six. And then it was, he was there for WrestleMania seven. He had the match with the retirement match with Savage, which was probably his better match now that I think about it than even the Hogan match. Yeah. That Savage versus Warrior career versus career match. Mm-hmm. at WrestleMania seven was awesome. Yeah. And that's when Elizabeth came back. But I still remember like warrior did understand the psychology at that point, And he was trying to beat Savage and he couldn't beat. Him. And then he had that weird, you know, I remember him holding up his hands after he didn't beat up, you know, beat Savage. He's like, is this my destiny? Am I done? Is this it? Like he understood the psychology at that point. You can tell he had some years in him after that. Yeah. Uh, but then leading up to that match, you know, the SummerSlam match where it was Hogan and basically because they were still the number one and number two guys because mm-hmm. uh, Savage at that point had turned heel. But did, were you taken back that basically, you know, when Hogan found out that Warrior was holding McMahon up for money, that they basically were going to do some old school What later would become the Montreal Screwjob and basically break Warrior's leg? Why was breaking his leg necessary? I didn't understand that part. (laughs) Like, yeah, that was going to be Hogan's way of, like, teaching him. Because remember, when Hogan first got trained, you know, in the business, I think, by, was it Matsuda, who broke, you know, was just like, oh, you really want to be a wrestler, kid. And he broke his leg. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's Hogan's idea of justice, of just like, (laughs) let's break his leg. And those are oh look, that's Sergeant Slaughter and Iron Sheik. Those were old school guys. So it could have happened. And ironically, when Hogan said that, I thought it was funny because remember, Hogan quit AWA, you know, to go work for Vince and become and and then become the number one guy. But he quit the AWA so he can beat the Iron Sheik for the title. But Vern Gagne offered the Iron Sheik money to break Hogan's leg. Is like don't you know? Don't let Hogan beat you at you know at the Garden. Uh-huh. Break his leg instead. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just like breaking your leg is that's just, just like an
0: old school wrestling. Yeah, thing?
1: but it's just like to now that's just like wow. That is the third break his leg story that I've heard Hulk Hogan's attached to <laughs> him getting his leg broke, him almost getting his leg broke. And then him wanting to break warrior's leg. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, here's to our legs. You know, <laughs> like in jaws, <laughs> we'll toast to our legs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after that, and he was just like, you know, warrior wrote some letter to McMahon, you know, just basically spelling out, you got to pay me Hogan money. And then McMahon wrote him a letter back saying, not only am I not, Paying you, Hogan Bunny, but I'm suspending you, and that was basically his way of that was going to be the first time he was fired. Yeah. So, but that was a big deal. It's just like that was McMahon kind of throwing down the gauntlet.
0: It really is. But one thing that really stood out to me about um, McMahon and, and Warrior. How willing Vince was to let bygones be bygones. Like, he gave him a lot of chances. He did. You know, and it feels like, I feel like Vince, he's like that a lot. He seems to always be willing to go back to working with anybody, no matter what happened.
1: That is absolutely true. Because if you count his Hall of Fame run, he gave Warrior four chances. That Hall of Fame run was his fourth time to doing it. And I think everyone always kind of expected it. Like, the biggest one that never you never thought what happened was the Bruno San Martino one. Like you never thought uh, Vince would do it. And it's like he seemed like that was the only one he wasn't willing to do it for. And then even later later on, obviously he did. You know, he did uh Triple H kind of mended that deal. But like for the guys that Vince made, because war uh San Martino was made before Vince the guys that Vince made, he always was willing to do business with them. And and I think there was a couple that he didn't, right? Like you heard the story of, I think it was Nails, was mm-hmm. Kevin Kelly in the AWA uh, punched Vince McMahon out. He never got a, a, a chance again. Yeah, Not that I know, but he passed away. But like Brett got his chance. Shawn Michaels got numerous chances. Mm-hmm. So like if Vince made you the star and he think he can make more money with you, he would give you another chance. And Warrior did get those chances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You think uh, CM Punk will ever get that chance? Because I feel like Triple H being the the fan of the history of the business was always willing wanting to broker in that deal of you know getting Bruno San Martino in. But when Punk burned his bridge, he basically punked out, you know, for lack of a better term. Triple H. So yeah. tr- is Triple H going to do that same thing of what's best for business and broker that deal and kind of like have him come back like the Ultimate Warrior did? I don't see why not.
0: What would what would really be stopping them? I, especially with Punk. I think wherever he goes,
1: if he goes anywhere again, that's going to get a huge number. Yeah. And why wouldn't WWE want it? And I think that's why Vince was always willing to let Warrior come back. Because the second time, uh, I know he... You know, there was a, he's, they were talking about a no show for his Dad's funeral, so then that got him, and then he wanted to distance himself because I think Ultimate Warrior and Hogan were both part of the steroid trials, which is going to be a later episode of Dark right. Side of the Ring, so we'll hear a little bit more. Right. So at that point, he was probably trying to distance himself.
0: That was interesting too. I never put two and two together and realized that's when uh,
1: WWE shifted into sort of the smaller the, champions. That was the new generation, yeah. right? That's when they did shift into that, which ironically, you know, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett's dad was being groomed to take to basically run WWE if he, Vince had to run WWE from prison. Uh-huh. Jerry Jarrett was going to be his guy and Jerry Jarrett as we heard in this episode was the one that discovered quote unquote Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. So I think there's uh there's it's funny how the, you know, we we'll do the George Lucas. These things are like poetry. You know, they rhyme. <laughs> they match. Right. You just hear all these names come back in there. So he had that small WCW run with Hogan, which everyone thought it was just like Hogan was going to get his win back from yeah. Ultimate Warrior. So
0: I realized that. I was wondering, why, why did they leave that out? How, what was his run all about?
1: It was, a, it was a very uneventful run because I think everybody saw it as a, a Hogan's way of getting his win back. Because Hogan was still very old school because he felt like Andre kind of anointed him and gave him that win. Right. So Hogan was always willing to give somebody the win if they thought it was if the, he thought they were worthy kind of like Andre did for him. Yeah. Uh so maybe there was maybe a little bit of just like you weren't worthy and you couldn't hold it and now I want my win back. And again this was pre heel Hogan. No, this was heel Hogan. This was heel Hogan because yeah, he was NWO. Because Warrior came in as just like this is the man that's going to take Hogan down, and instead of NWO, Warrior had O W N, the One Warrior Nation, mm. and you know he took uh, Hogan's friend. You know, I don't remember Brutus Beefcake had like ten names in WCW, <laughs> but it was I may, maybe it was brother Brutai at that point. But he had Warrior was doing very mystical and magical stuff. You know, he would disappear and he'd be in the rafters and mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he like hypnotized brother Brutai and just like he was tormenting Hogan. But every maybe it was uneventful because everybody I think thought that it was just like this is only happening because Hogan wants his win back. Because right. I think by that time, early internet people just kind of got wind of. Hogan always kind of wanting to run the show, right. you know, run his creative. But uh, it was interesting there that it's just like remembering that Ultimate Warrior had a wrestling school. Mm-hmm. It's like, why wouldn't he have a bodybuilding school? <laughs> you know, he had that wrestling school in Arizona.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that either.
1: Yeah, so it was just, I don't I don't know if he had any uh, stars that actually came out of that, but it was just like, what was he going to, you know, he wasn't known for being uh, a grappler, mm-hmm. but... He obviously knew how to get himself over, so maybe he was going to try to translate, translate that. Day one, day one, we're just running
0: down the aisle.
1: Yeah. You're <laughs> yes. going to do that. That's all you're going to do. One. <laughs> <laughs> but Warrior knew, he definitely knew marketing. He knew marketing himself. Like one of his runs, I think he was trying to broker the, you know, I like I was telling you, he changed his name. McMahon wouldn't give him the ultimate Warrior name, so he actually legally changed his name to just Warrior.
0: Yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize that either. That's why I texted you when the when the wife came on. She was actually named Dana Warrior, and the kids were. Was, Dear, uh, they, I forgot the kids' names, but their last name it was, was like, Warrior. Like yeah, D- Dakota, Dakota and like Warrior, Indi- Indiana Warrior. Yeah,
1: yep, Indigo or Indiana. Yeah, they were all. So,
0: so he legally changed his name to Warrior so that he could continue to refer himself as the Warrior as legally. Warrior, yeah. because he was really a, a creation of Vince McMahon. Yeah. It seems extreme to do that,
1: <laughs> but it's just like look. I guess when you're not going to be able to do that, and look, he was trying to he was trying to launch a comic book at that time. Yeah, so he was just like, and he was a perfect comic book Again, character.
0: It just seems like something that a teenager would come up with. Yeah, you know, I'm going to change my name, you know, legally, so that I can get what I
1: want. Yeah, I mean, and. And because they look, he knew he was a big draw. I Here's a fun fact that uh, you may not know. It was like one of my matches was actually in Brownsville, Texas. And this guy basically that I was working for is a, you know, a promoter that would run these shows and didn't really care about copyright infringements and doing anything. So he'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have ultimate warrior. So I was wrestling as Jason the 13th mm-hmm. and I got to wrestle quote unquote, the ultimate warrior. <laughs> and it was one of those times that it was in these weird, one of the, uh, Kind of like the Tejano dance halls where they didn't have, you know, locker rooms that you share. So I never even got to talk to this person or anything. So I was just like, is this really the ultimate warrior? And just like, and he was basically working the boys. He's like, oh yeah, it's ultimate warrior. And the show was packed. Uh And he went out there and it was just a muscle bound dude face painted, hair long, had the tassels, and I was just looking, and I was a fan. I was just like, that's not the ultimate warrior." And at that point, I didn't even know how the match was going to go. Yeah. Because it was just like, I had no idea what to expect. And I was Jason the 13th. My manager was Gravedigger, who dug me up uh-huh. in, uh, in uh, Guanajuato, Mexico. Uh-huh. You know, it was like, basically, I think in Mexico, they were billing... Is the La Mumia de Wanawatu? You know, I guess I don't know if there's like mummies there or something, but anyway, this, Gravedigger was my manager and just like, so finally I locked up with this warrior and I knew it was this is not the ultimate warrior. I have no idea who this Gold Gym dude is, but it's not the ultimate warrior. And <laughs> then did he do go, the whole
0: bit? Did he run to the ring? He hit the ropes?
1: Yeah, he did. He and they ran played out. the music? Uh, no, they did not play the music. Okay. Yeah, back then It's just like, I don't know if that, but he came running out and then I was like, I don't even know what to do. And I locked up and he's like, hey, brother, what do you want to do? And I pushed him back to ropes. I was like, uh, I don't know, watch the shovel. And he said, What? And Gravedigger was just like, Wham! and just like clocked him uh-huh. with the shovel. And I was like, I don't even know. You know, I was 21. I was like, I don't know what to do here. So it's just like, let's just beat the crap out of <laughs> him. So the guy, you know, we got DQ'd. You know, Gravedigger came in the ring and started beating him with the shovel. And I was just putting the boots with him, and people were booing and uh-huh. going nuts. And then finally he, he warriored back, clothesline Gravedigger, clothesline me. We both got out of there and just left. Uh huh. Got me a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I, I kind of wish I had the, you know, the fake program that this guy was selling that it was just like, so I can say I wrestled. Oh, oh, fake. But look, I wrestled fake ultimate warrior. I wrestled fake doink. This wasn't the first fake <laughs> gimmick that I, although technically the doink I wrestled was real because he was one of the, was one of the multiple doinks that they had. But yeah, that's just like ultimate warrior was a brand and it was an, easy to uh mimic brands, so i can see why warrior's just like i better not let these guys cap not you know mcmahon did it later right with fake razor ramon and fake diesel that was right. a little tough to but like he could have done it with warrior so warrior i think was trying to jump on top of that
0: yeah well mcmahon's not afraid to do something out of spite it seems like yeah i mean that dvd they cut oh of him, yeah that was brutal yeah, the self like, destruction again, of the ultimate war. Again, you get some of the behind the scenes there, and you got Mean Gene talking to the director, <laughs> and he's like, "So you, you want to do like a shoot thing? <laughs> oh, oh!" And he knows that that's like, he knows it's like rough, you know. He knows that what he's about to do is gonna be is gonna hurt to do. Yeah, but yeah. He got like, permission to he's do like, it. Yeah, Vince wants to wants to do a shoot thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like wow. It's like all right, let's do it, and you know, and there was of course it was the old all the old schoolers, right? Mean Gene, Bobby Heenan, Rick Flair, that weren't afraid to like. Just, and it was even some of the newer guys that were kind of laughing at some of his, you know, his interviews, like, you know, fuel the starship up with space fuel. Yeah. You know, and just the stuff. But at the same time, it wasn't fair in the sense that there were a lot of people that were influenced by this large, larger than life character. But I think at that point, Vince McMahon was trying to distance himself from yeah. the ultimate warrior. Yeah. Which was sad. And it's just like, because I think he did, it didn't. You know, obviously it did affect him because that was kind of like his spiral after that when he just basically, you know, he started off going off on a little kid, you know, in an airport. And then it ends with him going off on a bunch of college students telling them queering doesn't make the world work. Yeah. So he that he, quote he, sticks in my head because I remember that. And it's just like, did he just say what I think? What's he the said? quote again? Queering does not make the world work, honey. He said that like and he even threw the honey in there. And I was just like, wow. And you can tell that like all these kids that are in college now probably grew up watching the ultimate warrior, basically mm-hmm. watching their hero turn heel IRL yeah. on them. Yeah. Just telling them that like a lot of your friends that are doing these things that I'm talking about, because he went crazy conservative and just like, you know, Dano warrior was even talking about like, fox news was on all the time and it was just Uh like shit you know would that version of ultimate warrior stormed the the capital
0: whoa can you imagine that if he'd have come down and been leading the charge (laughs) oh my
1: god that was just like so it's very shocking that like your childhood here and that's when they have the never meet your heroes so but at least it did it seemed like at that point i think he was just working it as a gimmick versus maybe that was his beliefs. Like obviously he had a, a hardcore discipline, but you would, I don't know, but it sounds like when he met his wife, he started to kind of turn his life around. Yeah. You know, cause I-
0: I think he was working it as a gimmick. I think he saw that as something that uh, has a lot of following. It's an ideology, and you know, like I think that's they 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 talked about him being a loner, not having a lot of friends, and that type of ideology appeals to people like that. Not to get political or whatever. And I'll probably cut this part out, but like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like it 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 opens it opens up people that are definitely feeling like loners. Yeah. Okay? It, that, that appeal, that sort of stuff sort of draws them in to be part of this group.
1: That's how cults work, right? Yeah. First, they just isolate you from everybody else and then they say, I'm your friend. Yeah. That's wrestling mentality 101, right? It's just yeah. like when when a bad manager like J.J. Dillon is trying to recruit Barry Wyndham to be a heel, mm-hmm. he basically, you know, told, I told you Luger wasn't going to be there for you, mm-hmm. but will be there for you. Right. So it, maybe they had that same mentality back then. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I was a huge. I was a huge fan of the Ultimate Warrior, and I remember my friends watching wrestling were uh, huge fans of him, so he did deserve his place in the Hall of Fame. If you want to have a legitimate wrestling Hall of Fame, it doesn't matter, like, the backstage politics and all the stuff that kind of happened, you know, barring, like, the Chris Benoit stuff, you know, that is just like, hey, that's a little bit too much, you know. In the end, he still was very influential, and then, like, the whole cancel culture right now is, like, when... When does it stop? Like, do you have to, like, all these people have dark, you know, a lot of celebrities have these dark, twisted, you know, histories that you do not know about. Yeah,
0: Matthew Broderick killed a guy.
1: Did he? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I had no idea. (laughs) Man, War Games is going to take a whole nother level for me now. I did not know that. How did he kill? It It was like self-defense? No, it was
0: like a, a car accident.
1: Oh, oh! And you I got
0: in a lot of trouble for. It. I'm sure you can
1: Google it and find that whole story. Oh my God! Yeah. So it's just like sometimes it's just like the internet tells you stuff that you don't want to know. Like, but you wouldn't have known. But it's just like if you're talking about Ultimate Warrior as just the character and not the man, you know. Which it sounds like he had his redemption story in real life too with his daughters. You know, that kind of turned things around. But if you're just talking about the character and and the influence he had. He deserved that last chance that he got to be in the Hall of Fame as Ultimate Warrior, the character. Yeah,
0: so they definitely, in the end, it felt like an uplifting story.
1: It did, yeah.
0: Uh, A story of redemption. They didn't shy away from the bad stuff, I felt like. they did not, no. But they didn't dwell on it. And coming up
1: this this week. week, Part two, yeah, we'll be the dark side of the ring. We'll get the other side, which I think we talked to a uh, warrior's first wife, uh-huh. which they only touched on in this saying that when he got the title and part of his downfall was his divorce from this wife that it sounds like we're going to be talking to in this dark side of the ring episode. Yeah. So I'm really interested if, if there's more stuff Cornette made it sound like there's a lot more dark stuff that you, you didn't know. Cause you always hear the rumors, man. So it's just like, you always hear the rumors, like so-and-so is gay or so-and-so did this to get his job. And it's just like, and I think he was always one of those because you know, Late eighties, WWE had that whole stigma because they had that, you know, that ring announcer was basically what they call grooming now, right now, uh-huh. right for young boys. You know, I guess apparently they were doing that back then, uh, so you just assumed that everybody was doing that back then. Well, at least the the boomers of that generation would just assume, yeah. oh, everybody must be doing that if this one person did that. Yeah. So I'm curious of what uh, what what dark side's gonna dig up.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing the reenactments of Ultimate Warrior. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they're going to do a great job with that.
1: Yeah, that slow motion rope shake is going to be nice.